Welcome to the Scale and Exit Show. I got to make sure I'm recording here. Hold on, Henry. <clears throat> this is recording. Yeah, we're good. Welcome, man. I'm excited to have you on. You know, every week I'm bringing an amazing guest, and today is no different. My new buddy, Henry Shuck. Fucking cool name. I like that. <laughs> Started 23. Listen to this, guys. It's amazing. This is uh, This guy's a kindred spirit for me scrappy really came from you know moderate you know, kind of nothing to some extent right you can fill in the gaps there at 23 years old took on this company tons of debt run up his credit cards and now fast forward um he's done a couple acquisitions fought through all of those things he is a thousand plus person company 300 million in revenue he has big evaluations um, he's been valued out, which we'll talk a little bit about. He has a plane over there behind his desk. So I don't know. We'll talk about that. I don't know if uh, he's buying a jet or not at any, any point soon. But uh, Runs is the CEO of Discover Org and is kicking ass in the data game. Welcome, Henry. Did I miss anything? No, this is pretty good. Yeah, I started the company when I was 23. Um, bunch of debt. I was actually in law school, so it wasn't just the debt that we racked up to start the business, but it was also... I was sitting under $100,000 of law school and undergrad debt and still rolled the dice on starting Discover Oregon. It was the best decision I ever made. Yeah, it's awesome. So everybody that's listening, listen, you know, to me, Henry, I talk about um, grit and failure, right? Those things are key, which I'm sure you can attest to. This guy, what are you, 35 now? 35, yeah. You're making me old. I'm 40. Like, I don't, I don't like this. <laughs> 35. And has a company. What's the company valued at now? It's over a billion. It's over a billion, right? So this guy started at 23 years old, no freaking money, no silver spoon in his mouth, ran up. He committed. Henry, I talk about this. You burnt the ships, baby. You know what burning the ships is, right? Yep. So when you go into debt and you burn the ships, you are freaking committed to that island. Henry yep. was committed. He did what it took. He did multiple acquisitions. He grew the company. And now he's sitting at a billion, that's what the B, billion plus company valuation. Congrats, man. I mean, wow, that is, you know, you're in the top one-tenth of one percent out there. So that's amazing, dude. I appreciate that. I'll tell you, like, the grit piece and the failure piece, I was in, I was in law school with, I was doing well in law school. My friends were doing well in law school. When I told them, like, hey, I'm going to go start this business, there was not one person who was supportive about that decision. Every person around me told me like, that's a stupid thing, you should go be a lawyer, you're doing well in law school, just go to the, go, go take these interviews with big law firms, this is a dumb idea. They would fill out forms on our website, like messing with me. <laughs> it was a never ending like shame fest for, for two years. Okay, so Henry, uh, I'm, I'm big on this. I'm big on tribes, right? So you start following me in my content, it's about the freaking tribe. And what I found in different stages of life, especially with success, that tribe changes. Yeah. Right. So those friends, you know, as a percent, how many are still there? Uh, yeah. 10%. Yeah. And, and, that, and, that, and I would even say that that's high, right? I mean, there's probably a bunch of your boys from high school or college or whatever. Um, yeah. But, you know, that... Uh, you know, people don't get it, man. I mean, I remember my first company in just the hours and, you know, all my buddies were taking 
great jobs, right? Mm -hmm. And laughing at me and, you know, uh, you know, you can't go to the bar tonight, you can't afford it, blah, 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 right? And so it takes a certain mindset to continue to push through that. And, and I love that. Now you've, you obviously are at a much different level. That tribe is different. Talk to me about, um, because it sounds like you're a scrappy guy like me and mentorship wasn't always an option, right? Because you probably didn't have the money. So yeah. where did you seek counsel? Where did you seek mentorship to get to where you're at today? That's a great question. I think uh, two things. One, I was lucky enough when I was in undergrad in college, um, after my first year in school, I ran out of money. I needed to move out of the dorms. So I, I literally sold my PlayStation on eBay and made $300. It was <laughs> enough to pay for rent for one month. I paid for rent for a month and I started looking for jobs. And sort of the first job I found was at this little sales intelligence company based in Las Vegas. I took the job. It was me and the founder. We grew the business from 300,000 uh, in revenue, so real like lifestyle business, to close to five million in revenue. Mm. When we got to five million in revenue, it was five million, and it was doing like 95% profitability. So five million making like 4.8 million. It was just us and a couple other college kids. And I was like, okay, well, what does this business become? Can we build a business around this? Can we hire salespeople? Can we hire marketing? Can we have something that can become bigger? Because this thing is printing money. We should be investing back in the business. And at the time, the founder wasn't interested in um, sort of investing back in the business. He was like, still felt like a lifestyle business. So it wasn't something I was going to stay at. So I left and I went to law school. They ultimately sold that business to a private equity firm. If you fast forward, Eight years from then, I bought that business from the private equity firm as part of Discover Org um, in 2015 because what ended up happening was they still never really built a business around it. Yeah. Um, and I can't remember what my point here was, but um, I think like the along the way, um, the people that I, so I had some mentorship because yeah. from. 300,000 in revenue to 5 million in revenue, I saw my mentor was the founder of that business. And so I was able to see how the business grows from 300 to 5 million. So that first stage of the business, sort of the hardest stage of the business, I had some visibility into what that looked like. And so I could trust my instincts and what I had learned over those years at, um, at iProfile to sort of bring that to bear at Discover.org. You know, after that, it is hard to find mentors. Mm -hmm. um, it's hard to find people you trust that you can be open with because if you're running a business and you had a, at 5 million, at 10 million, at 20 million, even at 50 million for us, I was so fixated on everything that was ugly about the business, mm. like all the warts on the business, the things we weren't doing right, all the things that were problems that I was like internally embarrassed about those things. And I thought like, Every other business didn't have these problems. If you were growing and successful, you didn't have a screwed up marketing department like I did at 10 million. You didn't have a sales department that you couldn't scale. You didn't have compliance issues you hadn't figured out. And so I would, was hesitant to like open up to anybody about those things. Sure. Um, now, has that changed now? Has that mindset changed? Or totally, that totally. You yeah. re I can't remember when I realized it, but at some point I realized, oh, every business has these ugly problems yeah. inside it. As mm. soon as you're outside of the headline, and actually that's one of the problems, right? You're not gonna get a headline about how my life 
marketing department's in shambles or I can't figure out my engineering department. Who's going to get a headline about my top line growth and assume that like everything underneath is beautiful. Yeah. But as soon as you get past the headline, like every entrepreneur, every business owner, every CEO is struggling with like some, some thing in their business that's not going well. Right. Um, and as soon as you sort of realize that you're much more, I'm, I've become much more open to being like, yeah, this is a problem I'm dealing with. How have you dealt with it? Here's another issue I'm dealing with. How have you dealt with it? And then the advice you get at that point is, is useful. Yeah. You know what I, I would give um, counsel to the audience is if you're not feeling those pains that you were just talking about, you should be worried about the business because yeah. growth is a rough and rocky, you know, uh, climb. And yep. if you're not feeling the, the stress of customer service, if you're not feeling the stress of client attrition, if you're not feeling the stress of having to grow, then that means the company probably isn't growing. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's when it gets quiet and things feel to be working, you should probably be concerned. Totally. Yeah. If you're growing, you're breaking things. If yeah. you're growing, you're like you're upsetting people. You're failing. You're constantly failing at things and then getting better and then failing and getting better. And that sort of sounds like mumbo jumbo. I think like when people would tell me like, you know, fail fast, like what does that really mean? What it really means is like, go learn new shit yeah. and then you're going to be bad at it. Yeah. But like expect to get better at it by continuously doing it. Yeah, totally. So talk to me real fast. So you have a jet. Is that, what's the, are you getting a jet? No, I don't have a jet. I just like planes. And my <laughs> office has a view of two airports. And so somebody bought me, bought me a, a, a like model plane with Discover Oregon someday. Okay. So well, I think you're, you're, you're on that path. So talk about, uh, you may not be able to, to, to discuss this, but you, so, so many people, um, aren't prepared to go through a process of selling their business. Right? Yep. And if you were similar to me, I didn't have that mentorship the first time I sold. And now I'm on a path now that I'm helping people prepare pre-investment banker. Yeah. Get your shit together. Client concentration, recurring revenue, yep. optimize the PL, yep. all the shit. <laughs> You yeah. and I probably had to learn the hard way, LPM, yeah. all that shit, right? Yep. So what's your advice? You know, you, so a lot of entrepreneurs, they get like this, right? You get on that fucking hamster wheel and you're just going and you're growing. And the idea of an exit is usually not on the horizon until you get a little bit more mature in your business. Yeah. And, and then what happens is all of a sudden you have suitors, people are coming. What advice would you go give that entrepreneur now that is in growth mode, that has the opportunity to sell, what would that advice be? So number one, my no, number one piece of advice is run a profitable business. Number one piece, figure out how to get to profitability, have a path there. I think too many businesses today, they get started, they're, they're not profitable, they figure like they're just gonna raise some money and everything's gonna be great. And that does work with some businesses. Right. But with, you have so much more optionality if you're- uh, So Henry, give me a percent. Like I, I wanna see if my match is yours. To run a healthy business at a margin level, what percent do you like to be at? Um, I, so the answer is it depends, but if you can be at 20%, that's like you have some breathing room if things go wrong. Yeah. Um, you don't have to raise an, another round of money. Um, the business can run itself. It can reinvest that 20% if you need it to. It, so 20% feels good yep. enough for me. 
Yeah, 20, I, I agree with that. I usually say 25 to 30 yeah. to, to run a healthy business, right? Yeah. But I, I do agree with you. 20 would be kind of like, man, if you're not, that, that's it. You got to optimize. Once you go below 20, you need to start thinking about optimization, even if you're in growth mode. Yep, absolutely. And then the other things I would say, the thing that I didn't really appreciate was we became very good at selling. Like we could just sell our product is, so we sell a sales intelligence tool. So it's data on business to business, professionals, companies, what projects and initiatives they're working at. So Discover Org got really good at selling that. And we'd go to a VP of sales, they'd see our product, they'd go, oh my God, look, this is all the buyers that are in my universe. It was really easy to sell. And then we sort of forgot about the customer success side and mm. the renewal, the renewal side of the business. Recurring and part revenue. Of the, all, and it's all about that recurring revenue. And so we got so focused on, because we could sell so, so well, the money that was falling out of the, that was leaking out of the boat was being like replaced so fast with the money that we were bringing in. But obviously at some point that breaks. And we just weren't focused on renewals until we brought in our first private equity investors. And they were just like, it was almost like maniacal focus on the recurring revenue renewal side of our business. Who's falling out? Why are they falling out? What size customers are falling out? Are you sticking with small customers? If you're not sticking with small customers, are you selling a lot of small customers? And so looking at the trends in your customer base to make sure that you're not just you're hemorrhaging customers after you bring them on. Like, I wish we spent more time up front thinking about that. Yeah, I think that's all. So my first business, Henry, failed. It was web development, was growing fast, project-based. Yep. And, and I was selling more to try to keep up what I was losing, and I couldn't keep up. Yep. Right? Your overhead grows, all those different things. So, I mean, my, uh, one of my last books I just wrote is called Mastering Recurring Revenue because it's so freaking important yeah. to a business, right? Yeah. So yeah. I mean, that's, that's great advice. So, having, did you finish law school? I did. So, I'm technically a lawyer. Okay. So, technically. So, does that give you a little bit of, of uh, clout in, in, in meetings and things that you can uh, look at or, or not really? Yeah, early on, totally. Yeah, like, <laughs> not even. Yeah, yeah. Early on, you you know, having a lawyer who works for you or who works at the company gives the company a lot of credibility. Now, I probably did myself a disservice because I held on to that too long. I, it would have been better if I walked into meetings and said, like, I'm the co-founder and CEO of the business. Right. But like, because I knew all of the ugly things about the business, I never felt like that was a thing that people cared about. Like, why do they care if the CEO of this like little company is talking to them? So yes. I sort of hid behind the lawyer thing for a long time. Um, but very early on, it, it totally brought a bunch of clout. I just, Judge, one of the things I would say too is if you're thinking about your business today, figuring out how to make it subscription and mm. recurring is like, that, I mean, if you look at any company that's IPOing today or on the public markets or any sort of private company that's getting valued, subscription recurring businesses get okay, significantly yeah. higher valuation. Than, well, yeah. inter enterprise value. So I actually, so on my website, judgegram.com, under resources, I have a recurring revenue calculator, right? Because it's yep. a compounding effect. And so if somebody would really sit down and go, okay, yo, I'm going to build this business and it's going to be average ticket of 150 a month, right? Yep. But it's sticky, it's gonna recur, and then I'm gonna sell a thousand of them a month, 
I mean, you start your know, year four with depending on what your attrition. Yeah. Is, I mean, that's a that's a nice that's a nice piece of business. Nice. Yep. In, in a lot of people, I, I'm glad you brought that up. They're not being mindful of that. So I've got a provocative question for you. At least I think it's provocative somewhat. So we're in this what I would call hyper entrepreneurial environment now, right? I mean, if you're on Facebook, everybody's a freaking guru. Everybody's, you know, entrepreneur, fucking hashtag hustle. I mean, all this shit is happening, right? Yeah, yeah. So, what's your thoughts on the importance of like a collegiate degree now? So do you have kids yet? I do, I have a, I have a three-year-old. Okay, so yeah. are you, pro college you see the benefit are you not going to push it are you indifferent right i mean there's this whole new you know you know i'm an entrepreneur right yeah um i think i'm still pro college i think to, in today's world i still do think a college degree um sets a pretty good foundation for you like i there's so many conversations where i have like much better context for the conversation because I went to college, I studied accounting, I have some basic business sense as a result. Right. It's also like, in, it's also in my perspective, those four years in college give you a bunch of valuable, uh, give you a bunch of valuable education, I think. Um, you meet a lot of really great people and then the value of your college degree, I think still carries a good amount of weight in our economy and a lot more than whatever else you're going to do for your four years between eight, you know, 18 and 21. Right. Um, but I think you can do after with some more context about the world and business and um, you have a better network. So yeah, I'm still pretty pro college. Yeah, it's great. Great, great, great answer. So talk to me. I also have another concept inch wide mile deep niche will get you rich, baby. The more niche will get you rich, get you rich. And what I have seen and looked at your business, you're, you're, you're pretty niche. Now you have verticals, but within that, you're a data, you're, you're a data company, right? Yeah. Yes. And, and, and so that niche is key, right? Would you agree that by being that niche and staying focused there, it's allowed you to become this thousand person company? Totally. And let me tell you, like, I'll take the niche a little further. So when we founded Discover Oregon in 2007, our focus was providing data on mid-sized, on the IT departments of mid-sized companies. Like how about that for a niche, right? Yeah. It's 2,000 companies, it's only the IT departments, and we got really, really good at providing really high quality information on the IT departments of mid-sized companies. And we got really good at that, we were able to go, okay, now we're gonna provide information on the enterprise companies, the Fortune 1000, we're gonna provide really deep, accurate data on who the decision makers are within the IT departments of enterprises. And then we went into the SMB. Let's provide really great data on the IT departments of SMBs. And then we said, okay, we've got IT covered. Let's move into another niche. We went into marketing, the marketing departments, and we did the same thing. And then the finance departments, and then we did the same thing. Until we got to a place where we're covering so many departments that it became much more horizontal. It's still data, so it's still that niche, and it's still sort of the software that delivers that data to sales and marketers. Um, but the niche is what drove the success, for sure. Yeah, totally. So within your product, just so I have more context, it, do you spe specifically just provide the data and you do no service and activation, or do you do some service and activation? 
We do service and activation too. So let's say a customer comes to Discover Org and they have a product that they sell into the marketing departments of uh, companies with over 100 employees. So we would, we would give them a data set of all the marketing decision makers at companies over 100 employees. The activation and implementation of that would be, we can integrate that to their CRM system. We give them training and onboarding on how to use the data, how to go to market, how to use the email addresses to do campaigns, how to use the phone numbers to do cold calling. Um, so all of that activation we actually do as part of the subscription fee. We don't charge extra for it. But yeah, we want to onboard our customers because we want them to renew. Yeah. And so we want them to be using and engaging the product as often as possible because come renewal time, we don't want any question about whether the product added value or not. Yeah, that's great, man. So from an activation perspective, um, is it primarily um, email or are you also onboarding into Facebook to do remarketing? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, where it's primarily email, phone, um, and then we're onboarding into like CRM systems and marketing automation tools. Mm -hmm. But our customers can take the data and then plug it into Facebook for remarketing or into an, an account-based marketing platform to do remarketing. Got it. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And you know, the, 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 the how valuable, you know, what I love about what you're selling is, you know, I'm sure you guys do this, but in, in the sales process is, you know, creating that lifetime value, right? So once you get that prospect that becomes the customer, now you have the data, you know, how do you extrapolate that into lifetime value? How do you upsell, cross-sell, all those yep. things? Um, it's, a, it's a beautiful business, man. Yeah, I mean, like today, we have 15,000 customers, 15,000 paying corporate customers. And so that's a great group of people to sell new products into. Right. And we have relationships with all of them. They all have customer success managers they know. So as long as we're building new products that are valuable to them, we right. have this great grouping of customers to go back to and say, hey, you've asked us for this tool. We've built yeah. it. You can add it on to your subscription. And so that's just new annual recurring revenue. Fantastic. And one thing you said, um, and this is my assumption, it's good, which is key, these businesses um, that are growing is customer concentration. You said you had 15,000 customers. My assumption is, it's an assumption, you have fabulous customer concentration because you have so many customers, right? Yep, yep. Right. It, 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 go ahead. Not a lot of customer concentration anywhere, so it's like really diverse. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You have, yeah, yeah. It's great customer concentration. You know, you probably only, and I'm making this up, it's like probably 5% is your largest, 10%, something around there, right? Which everybody listening to this, um, if you have seven customers and one, one of those seven is taking up 80% of your revenue, it doesn't matter how freaking much money you're making. If you're making 98% margin, you know, you are going to get devalued. You're probably not going to get bought. There's no enterprise value in that because it's too risky. So 100%. My buddy, Henry, he's built a model, 15,000 customers. Like Henry's not losing sleep at night if 15 of those, you know, a tribe, right? Yep. yep, that's right. And that's sort of, from day one, we always had a pretty diverse customer base. So yep. as long as you can get that diversity. And you know, the other piece is, unless you have diversity, you don't really know where you have the best product market fit. So like if I can look at my customer base and go, oh, that's interesting. Customers from this segment of this size 
are attriting much faster than others, that gives me an opportunity to go figure out what the problem is there and then fix it. So I'm going to jump in one thing that I think is important for, for businesses in my assumption is you're doing it based on what you just said is how often Henry, are you testing? Are you, you pressure testing uh, the sales, the offer, the segment, the product? Is that a, an iterative thing that's gotten you to the point that you're at? Totally. I just, this morning, and so we look, 15,000 customers, 300 million in revenue. This morning I had a call with my chief revenue officer because we're trying to figure out like why last month, which we, we blew through our revenue number last month, but why did our outbound calling team deliver less demos last month than they have historically? And right. so let's like go into the data and figure that out because why do we have more heads today than we did last year and we delivered less demos? Yeah, and so that we're going to track back that problem. Was it because they lost accounts? Is it because activity is low? Is it the leadership? Like on every single one of these things, we do that. But I think one of the things we also do is we go, oh, this thing did really well this month. Why did it do really well? Yeah, did we do right. something differently? Like what is the change that we did? Because then we can go back and double down on the things that are not working. That, I mean, that are working and then fix the things that are not working. Yeah, if businesses, for everybody listening, if you were not constantly pressure testing things, testing it, optimizing it, living in this iterative environment, right, and yep. getting better each time, then you're going to lose. You can't scale a company, right? Companies plateau, right? Henry's been on this growth trajectory, and that's because of several things. Great customer concentration, recurring revenue, he's testing, Right. I mean, these are the things that I preach and look at, look at, you know, Henry's doing them. He's super successful. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. There's never like, if you're going to grow, if you're going to grow your business, then there's plenty of things in your business right now that you're going to have to get better at. Nothing that you're doing today is going to be good enough for twice the size of your business. Yeah. So I get this question asked a lot. Um, you're starting a business and let's say it's a SaaS model or it's a recurring revenue based model and it's the founders and it's the developers and it's one or two salespeople, right? At what point did you make that investment in saying, and before we get into that question, how many salespeople do you have? Today, almost 200. Okay, 200, that's a big number, right? So at what point did you understand in your journey to success, when was that moment you said, man, we've got to invest in the sales organization? That's a, that's a great question. First, I was doing sales. I did sales for this company until we were at about 25 million in revenue. Yep. I was on the front lines. I was taking demos, walking through the sales cycle. If you're a CEO of a company, that, like that company that you just defined, founder and engineers, and you're not doing sales every day, you're going like, to lose. You're going to lose. Yeah. You're going to lose. There's no better place to get feedback yeah. and understand the market. Mm. And know what works and what doesn't work. If you are not selling, you're going to lose. Yeah, no, I, I think it's, yeah. And so the, the flip side of that is the founders that get to 5, 10, 15 million, they believe that, you know, they've arrived, right? Mm -hmm. yep. they lose, right? The company either goes down or, or, or they don't grow. So I think it's, you're right. you got to be in the trenches, man. I mean, I, I, you know, I was always in the trenches. You know, even now, I bet at some point, it makes sense for you to hop on a demo. I'm on, I was in a demo earlier today. Yeah, you should yeah. be. Yeah. Right? I mean, you need, because no one understands or cares more than you're going to care, and that customer's changing, 
right? Yep. Generationally, they're changing. The product's changing. The totally. market's changing. So if you're not reinventing yourself every six months and freaking listening to the customer, get ready to lose. Yeah. Yeah. And like, look, as, a, as the CEO of this company today, if I'm not getting all of those inputs, then my decisions and my outputs are not going to be as good as they could be. And so hearing the customers tell me something two, three, four times, like, okay, I get it. That is a thing I have to go figure out and work on or a data point I need to gather or a piece of software I need to build. And unless I'm hearing that constantly, you know, I'm not going to be good about making, I'm not going to make the right decisions for the company. But I'll, let me answer the question more clearly. Like we had a competitor who, in my opinion, had a worse product than, our, than us, but they had 15 salespeople selling it when it was me and two other people. Mm. And I remember I was actually about to get, I was, I was leaving to get married. And, um, and one of my responsibilities was the sales team. And I looked around at the sales team and it was like me and one other guy. And I was like, I've totally flubbed this thing. I haven't hired the salespeople. My competitor has 15 people. What am I going to do here? And we started aggressively recruiting and we hired right before I left to my wedding, I hired two new salespeople. One who has been our number one salesperson since 2011. Awesome. And the other who's our chief revenue officer at the company. And so it was sort of like lucky, but until you realize there's a problem in getting out in the market, like you, you we needed salespeople and we hired the right ones. Yeah, I, I love that, Ben. Great, great, great response. The other thing I've noticed at businesses your size and even you know somewhat smaller is you get complacent and you surround yourself with the leadership team and I and you start talking to yourself, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't, I, you know, I'm assuming you're not doing this, but I've been in these environments, right? You get all high and mighty, you get in the big ass conference room and you just pontificate and you start talking about shit that the customer doesn't give a fuck about mm -hmm. and you just talk in circles, right? Mm -hmm. And you start to see this loss so I think it's so important that you get outside. You know, I tell everybody when I come in and do workshops or I'm helping organizations, I say, listen, go become a freaking customer. If you're not looking at the competition every single day, if you're not going out and, and, and eliciting that feedback, soliciting that feedback, you're going to lose. Yeah. Right? If you start coming up with shit because you guys think it's great in the boardroom, get ready to lose. Is that, are you... You're smiling because you know that shit's true, right? Yeah, totally. It's totally true. Yeah, absolutely. Like, we made two acquisitions of two competitors. And I remember one of the things I realized was, like, the day after I woke up, the day after we made the acquisition and I woke up, I, I, I went to my phone. And what I had done for 10 years, every day for 10 years before that, was I plugged my competitor's name into Twitter and I plugged my competitor's name yeah. into LinkedIn and I looked at what people were saying about them literally every single day yeah, for 10 right. years. And yeah. I woke up thinking like, okay, who am I going to replace this with? Yeah. Like who's the next person I need to attract? Um, so I think about our competition a lot. Um, but I also, I also think like if you hire the right people in your leadership team, we hired like smart uh, smart people who were not willing to, who were willing to like kick me in the, in the teeth if I was saying something ridiculous. Like I'm challenged constantly by my leadership team. That's great, man. Yeah. That's key. I mean, it's, yeah. um, you know, you, you need a, at your level, you need a good diversity of 
operators, entrepreneurs, seasoned business folks, you know, and, and if you surround yourself with the right, you know, group, too many entrepreneurs issue, you know, too many just business people and money people issue, right? Yep. So it's important to kind of understand your inner circle table. Also, at some point, one of the things that I think like, at some point, after you've gotten everybody's input, and if like, and you've taken it in, you have to make the call and then you have to advocate for that 100%. There are plenty of times where I make a call and like people are still like not sure and I will just like railroad through things until yes. like we have a better view of whether that call was right or wrong. But once you make that call, it's like I get behind it 100% and then I'm gonna like stiff arm any sort of like negativity about it until we have like a better view of whether it was the right call or not. But in the early days, once you make that decision, you just gotta sprint on it. Yes. I read a whole book called Scale with Speed. Yeah. It, and the concept is, is great leader. I mean, there's a whole concept of moving fast and urgent, but one thing I want to hit on you talked about was a great leader, in my opinion, listens, but then executes. Listens, but then makes a decision, right? You can't, especially the bigger you get, you got to move faster, dude. You got more at stake. Yep. You know, you need to get that feedback, but make the call, live with it, and execute. Yep, 100%. So super, I know we're running out of time here. So I'm going to wrap this up. People want to always know, you know, guys at your level, you know, doing 300 million in revenue, thousand person organization. Talk to me about your daily habit. What's your, how's your morning start and your day end? Okay. So I wake up usually around 5.30, 5.45. Um, I have a cup of coffee with my wife. We have a team in Israel. So I'm usually on the phone with or on, um, I'm on a Zoom meeting or on Slack with the team in Israel for about an hour. Uh, at 6.45, I go to the gym. I work out for an hour um, almost every morning, like five days a week. Yeah, so awesome. I work out for an hour. I come up. My daughter's awake at that point. I'll like have breakfast with my daughter or play around with her for like 30 minutes, uh, 45 minutes, take a shower. I, hit, I get to work. And I'm at work usually from 9.30 till 6.30. I go back home, um, play with my daughter again for like an hour and a half before she goes to bed. And then my wife and I have dinner together. And then you're in bed sleeping by when? Nine o'clock. Yeah, love it. Yeah. Schedules. Yeah, yeah, you have to. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's great, man. So uh, what else, any last piece of advice, right? Again, you have multiple people listening to this. What is that one piece of advice, you know, somebody sitting on the fence, I want to start a company or I'm struggling the last 10 years and I can't grow my company. What is that nugget that you can inspire them? So whether you're a big company, whether you're a small company, the best piece of advice I can give you is get your sales engine right. Mm. Know how you're getting leads in, how you're converting them into new sales and constantly optimize that. And that goes to like the biggest companies like IBM to the smallest mom and pop staffing and recruiting companies and everything in between, getting your sales engine and your rhythm around your sales engine right is the revenue solves everything. I was just about to say, revenue fixes everything, revenue right? Fixes everything. That's, that's awesome. So Henry, for um, people that are listening that want to follow you, I don't know if you're, you know, how active you're on social or other podcasts, where's the best place for people to follow you? Best place is probably on LinkedIn. So you can find me on LinkedIn, Henry Shuck, Discover Org. 
Um, I'm also on Twitter at Henry L. Shuck. Um, or shoot me an email. It's my first name, not my last name at discoverorg.com. Okay. And then anybody interested in the service, discoverorg.com, right? Discoverorg.com. If you're interested in ramping up your sales engine, getting more leads for your sellers, getting data that drives your efficiency, discoverorg.com. Awesome. And for everybody that's watching, you should be following me. If not, best way, judgegram.com. Almost all my handles at judgegram.com or at judgegram. Sorry. Henry, it's been amazing, man. You're a great guest. You need to get the freaking plane. Next time I talk to you, that should be the plane that you're thinking about getting. You're big enough now. You can, you can, uh, you can just, how many offices do you have? Uh, like seven? Yeah, dude, it's all about speed and time. You need a, you need a plane. <laughs> Go talk to the board about it. Yeah, that'll be my favorite board conversation. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, brother. All right, thanks, Josh.